0: Welcome to our podcast program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I am Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one of our series discussing what some refer to as work-life balance, others as work-life integration, those processes that we must all address to create and sustain enjoyment in both our professional and personal lives. Today's program is unique. We're going to talk about practice longevity. Is it possible or even desirable for a clinician to practice 30, 35, or 40 years or even more and not only avoid burnout but also still enjoy going to work? The answer might surprise you since any number of people want to simply win the lottery and get out. Joining me today is Dr. Dennis Whitehead. I've known Dennis pretty much my entire emergency medicine career. Dennis, I remember you're leading the ASAP Council as vice chair and then chair for a total of eight years, and you did it with humor, diplomacy, and a strong gavel. Dennis was the first University of Buffalo graduate to go into emergency medicine, a leap of faith, I think. You also have written some seminal papers on working reasonable shifts, impairment, and a myriad of practical practice approaches. In fact I believe you were the first chair of ACEPS Wellness Committee. Dennis, your your greatest claim to fame I know though, is that you're a youper from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan where it said you can't buy happiness but you can go up to, you can go to the Upper Peninsula and that's pretty much the same thing. Dennis, welcome to our program.
1: Hey Rob, it's uh, really great an honor that you asked me.
0: So Dennis uh why is this uh, an issue, and why for you?
1: You know, it was not something that I consciously thought about. Uh, in fact, uh, you, you and I had had a chance to touch base at the ASAP meeting in California, the balanced meeting that dealt with physician wellness, and Tracy Samson, who put the program together last fall, uh, hearkening back to the idea that I was the first chair of the wellness committee she asked if I was interested in speaking, and I said, sure. And then she asked a hard question, what is it you'd like to talk about? And I paused for a minute, and I thought it was pretty unusual that uh, now I just turned 71, I still practice, and I just kind of blurted out, well, I could talk about how to practice emergency medicine until you're 70. And I remembered that Early on when we started out, I remembered uh, John Wittgenstein. I was fortunate to study under John at Michigan State, where I did my training. Um, And he always said that emergency medicine was a young person's specialty. And yet, John was still practicing even up to to the time he died in an accident in the 70s. So I always knew that it could be done, but I didn't really think that I'd be doing it myself. But after... uh, Tracy thought that was a good idea to put in this conference. I I began looking at it and I kind of examined some of the things that went into it.
0: So it doesn't sound like early on in your career you thought you would practice so long but you had a remarkable role model in John Wittgenstein. How did your thinking evolve at 30, 40, 50, 60 and you're still here?
1: In my 30s I, I really didn't give it very much thought. I don't know that many of us did. I always just sort of figured I'd I'd go on, practice for a reasonable length of time, maybe retire in my 50s, somewhere like that, and enjoy a long, hopefully comfortable retirement. I certainly enjoyed what I did. When I got to my 40s, I thought, yeah, I'll probably retire in about 10 years. Um, I had five children, and I realized that they were probably gonna take a little more in the way of of income to be able to get them to college. When I got in my fifties, I remember thinking maybe I can retire in my late fifties. Uh, then I got to then I got my late fifties, and I realized, you know, boy, college is really expensive, <laughs> and I just probably needed to work a little bit longer. It was okay. I mean, I still liked what I did, and um, I felt competent at it. I got to 60, early 60s, I thought, you yeah, know, I'm almost done with the payments. Uh, but, you know, my dad retired at 65, and I thought, well, I could do that too. And then when I got to 65, I thought seriously about about retiring, but um, due to a number of things, I, I didn't have a whole lot of retirement saved up. And I thought, if I can work till 70, I can maximize my social security benefits, which in the long run really is not a whole lot. And when I hit 70, I came to the realization, I'm not sure it was a sudden thing, that I still like what I do, and I still feel like I'm good at it. And every time that I think about the the issue about totally stepping away from medicine, there's something about me that... That doesn't want to do that. And I'm okay with that. You know, I, as long as I am assured that I'm competent at my craft and I still truly enjoy doing it, why not? The people I work with don't want me to retire. The hospital I'm at, you know, doesn't want me to, to quit. And right now I don't feel that way either. So I'm good with that. I'll stay in the moment that way.
0: So I, I get it. Both enjoyment Uh, competence and early on need, but you don't have the need now, so it is enjoying it and recognizing that you're still doing it well uh, make a big difference. Dennis, I've quoted you more than a hundred times in uh, a presentation that I do, specifically related to how difficult it is to cope with a full-time practice as we age. You, Hal Thomas, Deb Slapper, were the first, to my knowledge, to address this issue in in emergency medicine. I remember your publication, A Rational Approach to Shift Work in Emergency Medicine. Obviously, based on your description, you're still practicing. What's the secret?
1: Well, uh, there's a few things. I guess I could kind of run it down. I, I had to do that for the lecture that I gave. First one, obviously, is to protect your own health. I mean, we we really can't give help to others if we don't have good help for ourselves. And, you know, for myself, I've always exercised. i played hockey most of my life. I've always been a runner. Uh, I've been a mountain climber. I still do those things, uh, except for playing hockey. I don't do that anymore. And about 20 years ago, I mostly because there's so much GI cancer on both sides of my family You know, I I made a decision to get scoped up and down every two years, which I've done religiously. And I, uh, after reading some papers, I decided to become a vegetarian. I have done that for the last 20 years. And I think that's had a positive effect on my own health. Mentally, staying in the moment, meditation, it's a good way to clear my mind, realize that I'm a child of the universe, Everybody that comes before me is, uh, as a patient is, too. And I want to treat them respectfully and do the best job that I can for them. I have found over the years maybe the most important thing working in the emergency department, aside from doing the best job we can clinically and, and empathetically for our patients, is as the captain of the ship to have a relaxed and attentive workplace. And that means having a sense of humor if you can't laugh, emergency medicine is a bad place to be. And, and you and I both know that if you work in an emergency department where everybody is is really down in the mouth, things just don't go well. We got to be able to blow up steam and humor is a good way to do it. And fortunately, I work with a uh, very funny and thankfully sarcastic group of nurses. It's been very hard for me to uh, train them up over the years, but Now they're with the program, and we go back and forth uh, quite a bit. And they're part of the team. Uh, It's important to look at everybody that we come across right from the dispatcher in our small-town system and the EMS uh, personnel that are there and uh, everybody that uh, that we come across in the hospital. We're all part of a team. there's no one doctor that can look good, whether it's in emergency medicine or elsewhere, if you don't have a good team behind it. And I believe one of the most important things we can do as an emergency doctor is to realize that we're just part of a team and it's
0: not all about us. Well, there are a lot of uh, important lessons there. I know that, uh, and I know just knowing you, that you, well, you call them a team, probably at this point they're like a second family to you. And I I believe that uh, just knowing you again, that your humor pays, uh, plays a large part in that. You say you cultivate hobbies and you've done meditation. Um, didn't you climb the 50 U.S. state highest peaks?
1: I did do that. I, I finished that in uh, 1994. I was the 35th person to do it. Wow. Yeah, so that, that that was kind of a, a weird thing. Um, another thing that, that helped me a lot in terms of cultivating hobbies,
0: maybe my biggest
1: one now, is, and it's led to a second job for me, is uh, aviation. I've been a commercial pilot for a number of years, and I have a second job as a commercial pilot. I fly charters. I co-pilot on jets. Um, that's kind of a, a fun thing for me to do. It's another job where you get to Use your mind, stay active, and it's relaxing for me. It's, it's something I truly enjoy doing, and I, I think it complements what I do in the emergency department. Um, I think if you have an idle mind, it starts to deteriorate, just like your body. So I'm glad that I have that outlet outlet as well. Um, as far as uh, if I can get back to work for just a minute, there's... There are a couple of things that I've found have really helped me over the years in terms of practicing. One is to put the patient first. I remembered uh, when I was having my medical school orientation that a retired radiologist came in. It's a shame I can't remember his name because he said something that was one of the most profound and useful things I've ever heard. And he said whenever you come across a problem in medicine, whether it's a a purely medical problem or it's an ethical problem or it's a financial problem or whatever, you said, always stop for a moment and ask yourself, what is the very best thing that I can do for the patient? What's the best thing that I can do for the patient? And whatever answer you come up with, just do it and don't worry about anything else. And I've found whenever I get stuck with something or I get discouraged or whatever is going on, I just ask myself that question and the answer just seems to pop up. So I, I always like to share that with people. And uh, Michael Clark, who was one of the teachers that I had in my emergency medicine residency, he he had this expression, put everything you can in your favor. So when you come into work, you you want to feel good. You want to make sure that your staff feels good the little things with each patient that comes up. If there's a little thing that you can do to make the experience for that patient better, whether it's medically or whatever, just do it. And I, I'm always looking for little things like that that make the experience better for the uh, for the patient. If I can go back to the idea of uh, shift work, yeah, a lot of those things are extremely important. I remember writing a... An editorial with uh, Hal Thomas some years ago where we talked about airline pilots and how we have, airline pilots have to limit their time flying, and they can't exceed them. And the same is true for nuclear power plant operators and even long-haul truckers. And yet we in emergency medicine, I I believe sometimes we think we're immune to being fatigued or uh, not being able to have our skills deteriorate after a long period of time on a job during a shift. And we're not. We're no different from anybody else. And we should respect ourselves and
0: our patients
1: by scheduling ourselves well and maybe even erring on the the side of caution as far as that goes.
0: Well, that's fascinating. First of all, I want you to know I've been writing some of your SAGE words down as we've been going. Uh, Secondly, uh, as you said, airline pilots uh, are required to stop after a certain period of time, and uh, when I think about it, we see a whole lot of plane loads of people in our careers uh, that that are potentially at risk if we are fatigued and aren't thinking correctly. Let me go down a slightly different direction. Uh, when I trained, ultrasound wasn't part of emergency medicine. In fact, there are lots of new technologies. Uh, In order to feel competent, I assume that you have to be pretty aggressive in adopting some of the new technologies that exist out there that weren't around when we were more flexible and younger and could be early adopters.
1: There's no doubt about that. I had to faced that myself some years ago, maybe about five or six years ago. I, I thought I did a reasonable job with things like ultrasound. Uh, I picked up a lot from younger colleagues that uh, came along, and of course, I'm the oldest person in my department that practices. I sort of had the mindset that, you know, maybe it's not worth going to a real long course because I'm only going to practice for a couple of more years. I remember thinking of that when I was in my early 60s. But, of course, here I practiced almost another decade beyond that. So uh, a while back I decided, you know, this is crazy for me not to be better educated on these things. So I uh, went to a week-long, very intensive course on ultrasound, learned an awful lot of stuff, and I uh, realized that I probably should have done it a while ago. And if I can give a little piece of advice to uh, other docs who are coming up toward the end of their career is embrace that technology. Don't be afraid of it. Um, I probably felt a little bit intimidated. I don't think that there is any one of us that ever wants to be embarrassed that we don't know things as well as others. But that's kind of like a false pride in my opinion. And I'm glad I was able to get around it. And I hope that others are able to do that too. It's really worth it. It is a way of putting the patient first.
0: Well, Dennis, you've given us a lot to consider. Most importantly, that it's possible to continue to provide service as long as we might wish to. And for this to happen, it appears that we have to stay healthy, have a passion for what we we do, uh, recognize that we do provide value, enjoy and respect those around us, our team members, and adopt several of the strategies that you've outlined. Do you have some additional words uh, in closing for our listeners? I do.
1: And I say I think this is some very important. Um, this is what I like to call a fair witness and – that's a uh, fair witness of the concept in one of Robert Heinlein's books, Stranger in a Strange Land. It was a person who was brutally honest and only spoke the facts. And I have a nurse who is a very good friend of mine uh, at the hospital, and I've worked with her for years. I absolutely trust her, and she trusts me. And I remember one day a few years ago, I took her aside and I said, You know, if you ever think that I'm starting to lose it, You tell me. And if you tell me that, I'm getting out, because I absolutely trust your judgment. And that's my fair witness. My friend Sarah is my fair witness. And every six months, a year or so, we just happen to be together in a break room, and I'll look at her, and I'll I'll say something like, so, you think it's time yet? She'll say, I'll tell you if it is. I have confidence in her. And I think it's important that each of us, as we get really toward the end of our careers, have somebody that we can truly trust that can look us in the eye and say, you know, maybe it's time that you hang it up.
0: Dennis, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you. And I particularly appreciate that you're willing to share your experience and words with uh, all of us. I want to personally thank you.
1: My pleasure, Rob. Uh, It was great. It's really nice connecting with you again.
0: It certainly has been. Well, for those listening, I hope you've enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with Dr. Dennis Whitehead, who demonstrates that you can love your work and play and do both of those through a long career. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.